Hello, and welcome to the Foothills Deeper Pod, a podcast for all of us who are looking to bring just a little more love and a little more courage into our daily lives. I'm Reverend Gretchen, and I am so glad to be here with you today as your host for today's episode. I am recording this podcast in my office at church, which is a new thing because generally since we started this podcast, we have not been able to work in our offices due to construction and the pandemic. But we're finally so glad to be able to have a beautiful new office all remodeled. But as I sat down, I also realized that it there is concrete being poured right outside my window. So if you're hearing anything, it's the wonderful sounds of church being built right this moment. It's a part of how I think of our work together that we are building the church, the new church, the idea of church that actually creates more love in the world rather than more division. I think of this as the original intent of church, but mostly not how church has played out in its legacy. It has been a force often of division rather than connection. So thank you for joining me as we together build a church for connection and community and love. To help get us started on today's episode, I need to tell a little story. It was last year at the Foothills auction. We hold an annual fundraising auction. And last year, as I do every year, I offered a sermon up for auction, which just means that people could bid and ask me to preach on a topic of their choice. So the winner this year, she bid fervently and won. And then she came up and said, shyly, I wonder if you would preach on the Holy Spirit. I was immediately enthusiastic, which I think caught her off guard. But it's a topic that I actually have have thought a lot about. I've, I've learned a lot about in seminary, but haven't really had occasion to preach about at uh, Unitarian Universalist congregation, which is why she was asking me and why she was curious. She had had an experience with a good friend who had asked her to explain our faith and what she believed and what we together generally believe and she asked her first about do we believe in God and then Jesus and she accepted those answers and all their ambivalence and their low Christology but when she asked did we believe in the Holy Spirit she was incredulous that there was not a shared affirmation of this idea of the Holy Spirit. And this member was really surprised and taken aback because she realized that she really just didn't have a good answer about what she thought the Holy Spirit was. She realized she'd never even really heard a sermon about it at Foothills or in any of her experiences in Unitarian Universalism. So she asked if I would preach on it. And like I said, I enthusiastically agreed. And it was, honestly, I think it was one of the most popular services we've offered in a while, which was such a great unexpected joy because I knew that there there traditionally would be a lot of resistance, which I talk about in the sermon a little bit, due to the 
skepticism that is also a part of our history and a part of who we are even now that often we want to have evidence and proof and knowledge and the Holy Spirit is basically the opposite of that. But it was a strong enthusiasm for this topic, which was best encapsulated at one moment in this service. Let me step back. So as I was planning the service, I couldn't stop thinking about the viral meme of China Phillips, who you may know from Wilson Phillips, the girl group in the 90s, I think. Or you may know her as the daughter of one of the members of the Mamas and the Papas. Either way, she was on Family Feud a number of years back, and she was playing for charity. And when it got to be her turn, she got up and she did this chant, which invoked the Holy Spirit. I'll play a little bit of it for you now. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. 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 All right, let's go. So, yeah, that was the chant and then in turn TikTok and other social media picked it up and suddenly it was a viral meme and lots of people are using it as a hype up sound and also adding remixes and all sorts of things so it was great fun but anyway as I was planning for this service I just kept thinking holy spirit activate holy spirit activate and just how in so many ways that clip and that sound encapsulates the joy and spontaneity and creativity that I understand as uh, key elements of the Holy Spirit. So in the service on Sunday, we showed everybody the clip and and then invited them to do the chant with us. And they all did. And it was so much fun. And it was just giving in to the joy of what she was up to and her invitation and just the joy of dancing together and calling on this exuberant possibility that is the Holy Spirit to come into our midst. So now I want to play you a clip from that moment where we were all doing Holy Spirit Activate. All right, here we go. Holy Spirit Activate. Holy Spirit Activate. Holy Spirit Activate. Activate, activate, Holy Spirit, activate, Holy Spirit, activate, Holy Spirit, activate, activate, activate. And that was before the sermon. I actually think it speaks to a longing we have in our world today among many of us that we could unabashedly express joy, that we could unblock joy from our lives and be exuberant even in the midst of all of the challenges of life all the heartache that we can still access the goodness and the playfulness amongst us actually after the service someone came up to me to ask me if I thought that the Taylor Swift concerts were an example of the Holy Spirit at work. And I, first of all, I was very thrilled that somebody would ask me about a Taylor Swift concert, but um, also wholeheartedly agree that I think there's something in the popularity of what's happening there and the tens of thousands of people gathering is uh, longing to be unblocked from a shared joy. 
Anyway, so I'm going to turn now to the sermon where I'm going to begin with the story from the novel Beloved by Toni Morrison. We'll let you hear the sermon, but then afterwards I'll come back and just share a little bit about why I wanted to start with this story. We start with Baby Suggs, who we are told in the novel Beloved by Toni Morrison was holy. Baby Suggs is a former slave freed by a deal her daughter made. The story goes that when warm weather came, baby Suggs, holy, followed by every black man, woman, and child who could make it through, took her great heart to the clearing. A wide open place cut deep in the woods, nobody knew for what, at the end of a path known only to deer and whoever cleared the land in the first place. In the heat of every Saturday afternoon, she sat in the clearing while the people waited in the trees. After situating herself on a huge flat-sided rock, baby Suggs, holy, bowed her head and prayed silently. The company watched her from the trees. They knew she was ready when she put her stick down. Then she shouted, let the children come. And they ran from the trees towards her. Let your mothers hear you laugh, she told them. And the woods rang. Then let the grown men come, she shouted. They stepped out one by one from among the ringing trees. Let your wives and your children see you dance, she told them, and ground life shuddered under their feet. Finally, she called the women to her. Cry, she told them, for the living and the dead just cry. And without covering their eyes, the women let loose It started that way, laughing children, dancing men, crying women, and then it got all mixed up. Women stopped crying and danced. Men sat down and cried. Children danced. Women laughed. Children cried until exhausted and riven all and each lay about the clearing damp and gasping for breath. In the silence that followed baby Suggs, holy, offered up to them her great big heart. This story of baby Suggs in the clearing is the best story I could think of about the Holy Spirit. It's not named that way exactly, but in baby Suggs' pause and then her clarity there, that is spirit. And in her call to dance and in the dancing, the laughter, the weeping, and in the way it gets all mixed up together, that is spirit. Most of all, in the bodies, the energy moving there in the living, that is what we mean to describe when we try to talk about the spirit. I say try, because whatever our efforts, the spirit really can only be experienced, not theorized about. Spirit is the feeling among the worshipers in the clearing, just as it may be the feeling stirring in you now or among many of us on Sunday mornings when the songs are working and the silence hits just right and the tears flow and the laughter comes over us, spirit is what's happening in us, among us. By spirit, we do mean spirit of life, of course, the force of energy that animates creation, animals, plants, humans, oceans, stars. Spirit is not material. 
but it would mean nothing without material expression. Spirit of life or spirit of God as in the Hebrew Bible where the word is ruach or ruach, that spirit or wind sweeping over the waters as one of the first acts of creation, compelling prophets to speak and life to tape, take shape. Ruach sounds like breath. And by spirit, we also mean the spirit of truth, that transcendent reality across time and space, holding complexity and contradiction, creativity and imagination, paradox and prophecy, the call to change and heal and redeem. And by spirit, we mean that indwelling spirit of God or of holy Felt in the silence in each of us uniquely, the spirit speaks with a deeper understanding than words could ever touch. In the silence, the spirit is reassurance, comfort, and love. We try to talk about the spirit. We are trying. I'm trying. Felt in the silence, we try to give it modifiers and proper names, sometimes even capital letters, even though still the spirit refuses all our attempts to tame its wildness, its scorching beauty, its percussive pulse. For this reason, spirit is dangerous as it shakes off any efforts to fit into tradition or rules, let alone something that we might call orthodoxy which does not mean that people have not tried. Most notably, a few centuries into the common era, the Emperor Constantine, he did not appreciate all the many ways that church leaders were talking about the spirit or God or Jesus. Diversity, after all, is very hard to control. And so Constantine called a council in Nicaea in the year 325 of the Common Era, and there they decided once and for all how it is the Spirit works, wrote it all down in a doctrine of the Trinity, that is the central teaching of Christianity even today, that says God consists of three co-substantial persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nicaea gave Constantine his orthodoxy, but still could not contain the uncontainable spirit in individuals, in families, in small hidden communities across time, the many different ways of understanding and the questions just kept coming. All the way until the 16th century when those questions turned into the Protestant Reformation. One way to think about Unitarian Universalism is that long line of people that never stopped questioning. Still don't. We are a part of that Protestant tradition. We it just turns out we protested so much that we protested ourselves right out of the tradition entirely. <laughs> It took another few centuries for that to happen, but in the most radical parts of the Reformation, you can find our roots there. Religious fanatic and proto-Unitarian Michael Servetus was stirring up questions about the Trinity. According to historian Charles Howe, Servetus was deeply disturbed that he found no direct statements in the Bible supporting such a central doctrine as the Trinity. Rather than God being three distinct parts in one, 
Servetus found it more biblically accurate to describe God showing up in three different modes. These are just modes. Father, sometimes. Son, sometimes. Spirit, sometimes. As he wrote, Holy Spirit is just God's spirit moving within our hearts. In 1531, Servetus published on the errors of the Trinity and then spent the rest of his life trying to convince everyone else he was right. You might guess he did not convince everyone. In 1553, he was put to death for heresy. Now, I have to admit that Servetus's anti-Trinitarian obsession has at times baffled me. Despite the name of our faith and our church being Unitarian, which was originally an insult hurled at anyone who rejected the Trinity, I would guess that it's true for a lot of us today. It's hard to understand why these distinctions, Trinity, anti-Trinity, Unitarian, whether or not God is trimodal or co-substantial, why any of this really mattered all that much to Servetus, why, why it was literally worth dying over. But then I remember that just a generation before Servetus wrote his treatise in his home country of Spain, hundreds of thousands of Jews and Muslims had been forced to swear allegiance to the Trinity or face persecution, including death. So maybe Servetus had their persecution in mind and his obsession represented a kind of apology or hope for redemption. Maybe. Or maybe Servetus just didn't know when to let an argument go, which is sometimes a part of who we are, too. Regardless, Servetus offers us one example of the ambivalence our faith has held across the centuries when it comes to the spirit. Because on the one hand, we are, we are fundamentally progressive, right? And as Unitarian James Luther Adams said, our free and liberal churches are based in the understanding that the spirit blows where it will, as it says in the Gospel of John. Here we affirm truth is ever unfolding. Revelation is not sealed. We all have a piece of the truth and we live in mystery, trusting the love that holds us and calls us ever on. And at the same time, here we appreciate reason and knowledge and evidence. Here we often live in our heads. We forget about our bodies entirely. We default to skepticism. And sometimes we roll our eyes at the woo-woo ideas like spirit. Like Whitman, you know, we contain multitudes. Back and forth across our history, these two polarities have swung. So it's not just that Jane wasn't sure how to answer the question about the Holy Spirit. We all aren't sure what we think about the Holy Spirit. For example, in the 18th century, American religion was taken over by what, by what you might remember was called the Great Awakening. Kind of ring a bell? I don't know. Uh, I know it, it brings you back to like ninth grade English class or something. 
Remember uh, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God? That was the Great Awakening. So that was a reaction against the Enlightenment and other liberal theories that were trying to insert rationality into religion. Through tent revivals and passionate extemporaneous preaching, the leaders of the Great Awakening put the untamed power of the Holy Spirit back in the center of worship where they believed it belonged. They reminded people forcefully of just how much they needed to feel God's salvation, not just think about it. The Great Awakening was emotional and spontaneous and embodied, and the liberal churches of the day would have none of it. Charles Chauncey, minister of the First Church of Boston in 1743, described the dangers of the Great Awakening like this. Quote, among the bad things attending this movement is that terror expressing itself in strange effects on the body, such as swooning away and falling to the ground, where persons have lain in for a time speechless and motionless, bitter shrieking and screamings. He goes on. The next thing to be considered is that sudden light and joy so many of late claim to be subjects of laughing. So far as I am acquainted with the history of the church is a method of expressing religious joy peculiar to these present times. And this practice of laughing seems inconsistent with that holy fear and caution which must be thought reasonable where the salvation of the soul is the thing. Good thing Charles Chauncey can't see us most Sundays. Way too much laughing, not near enough caution. Still, we might agree with him about the swooning and falling to the ground, the practice that we can see today in the fastest growing segment of global Christianity, which is the charismatic or Pentecostal church. Centered on the euphoric experience of receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the charismatic church, spirit is performative, action-oriented, dramatic. Whether through speaking in tongues or divine healing, the charismatic church, which, in, which includes the primarily African-American denomination of the Church of God in Christ, as well as the Assemblies of God, understands its mandate based on that story of the Holy Spirit that descended after Jesus had died. So Jesus' followers in this story were, had gathered from many different countries for Shavuot, or what in Greek was called Pentecost. But they can't understand each other because, they, remember, they came from different parts of the country. They spoke different languages. Until suddenly a great wind moves through their room. The Greek word for this is pneuma. After wind, then came fire. Tongues of fire descended on each of those gathered. And suddenly, they understood each other completely. Spirit breathes, burns, sanctifies, transforms, when we try to speak of spirit, we call these attempts now pneumatology, after the wind of God that descended in this story and in the story of creation. When Charles Chauncey questioned what was happening in the Great Awakening, he was critiquing the emotionality, but he was also revealing his class bias. 
Official Unitarian history begins in New England, after all, where the educated and upper class were, the, those places where the Enlightenment was everything. Charles, Chauncey, and other upper class New Englanders, they didn't like the Great Awakening. They said over and over because it was overly emotional, but just as much they didn't like it because it was a great equalizer. It made religious understanding accessible to anyone who felt moved by the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, it turns out, is unconcerned with academic credentials or wealth. Anything that would indicate who should properly receive and dispense wisdom or have direct access to God. The Holy Spirit shows up in makeshift tents and pop-up churches wherever the people gather and cares not one bit about tall steeples or learned clergy. And as we see in Baby Sugg's clearing is instead equally available to anyone and everyone who is open to it. When we find ourselves today being skeptical of spirit-centered practices, we too need to keep in mind Chauncey's blind spots and the ways they may live in us, too. A few decades after Chauncey, however, liberal religion swung the other way as Unitarian reformers known as the Transcendentalists called for a faith more filled with passion and heart and for a religion centered around the wisdom of the indwelling spirit of God. As Ralph Waldo Emerson declares in his 1860 essay, Worship, there is a principle which is the basis of things, a simple, quiet, undescribed, indescribable presence dwelling very peacefully in us, which is our rightful Lord. We are not to do, but to let do, not to work, but to be worked upon. And then, a few decades after the Transcendentalists, the religious humanists swung us back the other direction, prioritizing reason and the supremacy of science. Until a few decades after that, feminism and earth-based traditions sent us back the other direction. When we think of our faith as a linear story, Servetus to Chauncey, Transcendentalists to humanists, feminists, our relationship with spirit can feel like a teeter-totter. Back and forth, embrace, rejection, makes you wonder which will ultimately win the day. But what life and experience and the James Webb telescope teach us is that the whole of our story, in all of its contradictions and ways of conceiving of truth, lives in us not in a linear way, but all at once which means embracing that spirit does not need require that we abandon the thrill of knowledge and evidence or vice versa. It need not be an either or. Both ways of seeking truth can and must work together, not in ambivalence, but in ongoing creative tension of pragmatism and mystery, wonder and hope, chaos and order, a creative tension that opens our heart to truth in the greatest possible sense, including in the ways others find it. To put the two together is to recognize that not every intuition or great wind should be trusted or followed with abandon, and to know it is right to be skeptical of anyone claiming they're being led by the Spirit. 
It is to recognize that we must, as Unitarian ethicist Sharon Welch asserts, learn to be critical and face the ways that people claim the mandate of the spirit as much to control, denounce, and exclude as to heal, embrace, and transform. The spirit, after all, is that feeling that leads us to feel more love for other people and the profound sense of the inestimable, inestimable worth, beauty, and wonder of others. Which means we must learn to question those who claim to be led by the spirit, but then use their power to denounce others or to distance themselves from others self-righteously or established fear-based hierarchies. This discernment requires a committed community where we can each bring our piece of the truth from whatever, whatever part of the spectrum of spirit and reason we might most naturally find ourselves, from all parts of our individual and collective stories, and where we can each help each other listen for those times when we are following the promptings of the spirit and also for those times when we are merely following our own vivid desires and longings that would actually be destructive of ourselves and community. When we make this discernment a part of our promises together and to, our, to each other and to ourselves, then we can with integrity meet with openness the overwhelming joy and wild exuberance of the Holy Spirit that indwelling and prophetic spirit that seeks to animate our lives in the direction of love. Whether that's speaking in tongues, you never know, or in a call like Baby Suggs makes to cry and laugh and weep and dance together freely. Or maybe, don't tell Charles Chauncey, in the hype up chance of Holy Spirit activate. Amen and blessed be. So I thought about baby Suggs for this sermon for two reasons. First of all, because like I said in the sermon, it's such a beautiful example of the Holy Spirit at work. But also I thought of the story because without fail, every time Toni Morrison references her in the story, she uses the modifier holy baby Suggs, holy. And I thought it was a good example of the ways that holy is a modifier in this case, just as as Michael Servetus and others over the years have come to understand the spirit modified with the word holy in scripture, the spirit holy. So that rather than its name as if a particular being, it's a way to describe it. The spirit, holy, baby sucks, holy. Who knows? Uh, one of my colleagues who helped with some of the background for this sermon, his name is Fred Wooden. His input was that he felt like the Trinity was just an example of idolatry. And I, I love that so much that it was way of nailing down something and pinning down God in a way that is always going to reduce God. So mostly my answer as for most things in this series is who knows. <laughs> so to close this podcast today, I want to read to you a blessing from Jan Richardson. And it is a blessing she wrote 
for Pentecost. That story of the spirit, holy, descending on the disciples after Jesus has died. She calls her blessing this grace that scorches us. Here's one thing you must understand about this blessing. It is not for you alone. It is stubborn about this. Do not even try to lay hold of it if you are by yourself, thinking you can carry it on your own. To bear this blessing, you must first take yourself to a place where everyone does not look like you or think like you, a place where they do not believe precisely as you believe, where their thoughts and ideas and gestures are not exact echoes of your own. Bring your sorrow, bring your grief, bring your fear, bring your weariness, your pain, your disgust at how broken the world is, how fractured, how fragmented by its fighting, its wars, its hungers, its penchant for power, its ceaseless repetition of the history it refuses to rise above. I will not tell you this blessing will fix all that, but in the place where you have gathered, Wait, watch, listen, lay aside your inability to be surprised, your resistance to what you do not understand. See then whether this blessing turns to flame on your tongue, sets you to speaking what you cannot fathom, or opens your ear to a language beyond your imagining that comes as a knowing in your bones a clarity in your heart that tells you this is the reason we were made for this ache that finally opens us for this struggle, this grace that scorches us toward one another and into the blazing day. That brings us to the end of our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you can think of a friend or a family member who you think would really appreciate this series, we hope you will share it with them and keep the conversation going. We also always appreciate reviews in whatever podcast app you are using. And if you're able, we also always appreciate your financial support. Every little bit counts. You can go to foothillsuu.org forward slash give and make a donation. We are so grateful to be partners with you in the continuing work of unleashing courageous love.